Good morning again. There's, there's more of you in it this time. Um, that's cool. Um, I've got a passage I'd like to read, and if you're not too tired, please stand, and if you want to sit this out, you can. It's up and down and up and down. Who needs a gym, right? Um, I'm going to be reading from the New International Version, or the Nearly Inspired Version, as some call it, um, that uh, I often read from when I'm reading out of the Old Testament. So, uh, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and a commander of the people. Surely you will summon nations you do not know, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of Yahweh, your God, the Holy One of Israel. He has endowed you with splendor. Seek Yahweh while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to Yahweh, and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my, your ways my ways, declares Yahweh. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out, of, out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but I will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all of the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. For this will be the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, some time ago, I don't know if some of you noticed or not, but there used to be an office depot on Hendersonville Road um, that is now a trampoline building. It's really a lot more fun. But anyway, as, um, as that store was closing, they had this huge sale. And... Um, the, they had it all the way down to like 90% off. And I went in, there was some beautiful office furniture in there. And I thought, I can finally afford it 90% off. And so, and there was this beautiful, beautiful cabinet um, that I thought that would go really well. And I was driving my truck, so I was very happy um, to purchase it. And then is, um, I, after I purchased it and I pulled my truck up, they brought out these boxes. <laughs> I didn't buy boxes. <laughs> I bought a nice cabinet, and apparently it had to come 
where I had to take it home and work on it. So I, I took it home and I took the box off and I piled everything and sorted it the way it was supposed to be sorted. And I looked at it and thinking, what have I done? And it's, you know, unassembled furniture. I'm sure you've had something like that happen to you. Um, well, this morning's passage, this morning's message is unassembled. So some assembly's going to need to be, you're going to have to do some of it. How's that? Because I'm just going to kind of throw a bunch of stuff out on the table, and um, you're going to have to help me know where everything goes. And so you're going to have to spend some time on that um, this, evening, this afternoon with Jesus. Um, as many translations uh, that we read in this passage, it starts with the word come. However, um, if you look into some that are, are more closely aligned to the Hebrew at times, uh, the, the first word is actually ho, like ho, ho, ho. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, I guess you already see that resemblance. Um, but it, it's about getting your attention. It is a cry out to say, hey, listen up. It's kind of like when you're a youth pastor and you're trying to get everybody quiet enough so you can get started and everybody's bouncing off the ceilings. It's like dumping a box of cats out, kittens out, and they're running all over the room and, and nobody's paying attention. And so you have to yell really loud to get their attention. Um, and I wasn't much of a yeller, so I found a different way. And my way was, um, okay, who would like to open in prayer? And it's complete silence. In fact, everyone found something that needed attention immediately. They would start picking at their clothes or brushing somebody else off or, or thinking about something or seeing something in the corner. They just did not want to make eye contact because they were afraid that I was going to ask them to open prayer. So this is kind of like that attention getter. There was one other time that when I first read this passage, the first thing I thought of was uh, a guy named Arlen Troyer who used to be a worship uh, pastor here at Grace many years ago. And Arlen was a character. You, uh, if you knew who I'm talking about, you know that he was, he was fun. Well, he, in the office, which is always Grand Central Station, he would walk out of his little office, and he would go, ah, uh, and just stand there. And everybody would stop what they're doing, stop their conversations, and look at him. And then he would realize that they're looking at him, and he'd be like, ah, uh, nothing. And he would go back to his office. Um, but he would said, when I came out, I had something to say, but then it just went away. This is kind of like that moment where, where um, the prophet is saying, ah, and everybody's waiting. And then he comes in with the word come. It's an invitation from an inviting God that says, come, all you who are thirsty. And it's not just, if you're thirsty right now, come. But come to the waters, you who are thirsty. But you who are perpetually thirsty. You who have to constantly be drinking. You who have this desire to be refreshed internally. And he says, come all who are thirsty. A prerequisite to coming is being thirsty. The thing is, is that we're all thirsty, right? We all want something that fills us, that we're always looking for something more to fill us. And it's back when um, creation happened and God spoke everything into existence. There was this connection between finite beings, that, that would be us, and, um, and God who is infinite. And it was a perfect union until sin entered and death and it separated 
the finite from the infinite. Well, the, thing, the, the problem is, is that finite beings, human beings, have been created to have capacity, and not only capacity, but desperate need to be connected to the infinite. So that's why when we're hungry, we're continually hungry. With whatever we get, we always want more. That we, are, we have become this black hole of need where we're sucking everything around us into that hole because we have this desperate emptiness inside of us. And often we will try to fill those things with all sorts of stuff. But here this invitation is come. Come to the waters. And then it says this peculiar thing, which I just struggled with for a very long time when I was reading this passage. And that is, you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. I don't know about you, but that just seems silly. It's like, why say come and buy? Why not just come and get? <laughs> you know, come and, come and just come on up. It's free. I'm giving it out. It's because there's something powerful about understanding that in the economy of God's kingdom is that the only currency that will bring us what we need and what we desperately want is nothing. We can't come with anything that we're holding on to. We can't come with our giftfulness. We can't come with our wisdom. We can't come with our intelligence. We can't come with our good deeds. We can't come with our great ideas. We can't come with all of those awesome things because the Bible says, no, you, you don't have what I'm looking for to purchase this. You have to have nothing. And you have to let it go. And that's a really tough thing to do um, because it doesn't make good sense. When the passage here invites us to come, if you're thirsty, come to the waters. Now, back when I was younger, uh, I lived near the ocean, and I would often take um, walks uh, on the beach at night and early in the morning, and it would be a time that I would spend some time with the Lord and, and bring to Him my heaviness or my tears or my struggles. And um, when I see this passage, come to the waters, I'm wondering, why is waters plural? Well, when I was on the beach, here's, here's my, my perspective on this. I would go to the beach, and I would see the, the ocean, the waves rolling in. There was noise. There was movement. There was vastness. It was unending. And when Jesus calls us to come to the waters, of course, I thought about that 70s song that we used to sing, uh, Christians used to sing, called, Come to the Waters, Stand by My Side. I know you are thirsty. You won't be denied. I felt every teardrop when in darkness you cried. And I strove to remind you that for those tears I died. But hearing that endless thundering wave after wave after wave, you get the picture of the kind of water that Jesus is standing beside here. The kind of invitation that the prophet is talking about is he's saying, come to the waters. Come to the moving, vast, living water. Come and buy and eat. But the only, the only currency we allow here, the exchange rate, is you have to give everything you have away so that you've got nothing. And that is what the purchase, what we're looking for. When he says, come buy and eat, he says, come buy wine and milk. Now, here you're getting a description of the gospel. 
where wine is a symbol of, uh, is a celebratory drink. It's a time that you drink with joy and celebration. It's, uh, it takes some time for it to, to process into being something that is delicious and, and something that we want, something that we would really love to, to have. And then there's also, that's one aspect of the gospel. Another aspect of the gospel is the milk. And the milk is what we need for nourishment. It symbolizes abundance and, and growth and uh, health. And so he's saying, come and buy. Quench your thirst, you perpetually thirsty people. Come and connect to the living waters who will flow through you. And buy wine and buy milk with nothing. And then he goes further when he says, without money and without cost... We get money from working for it. Most of us, somebody worked for it, for us to have it. And so that money, that labor, that's the economy of the world, right? Is that we, that's the currency of the world is we have to have money. And that currency then is by effort because we can work for, for the things that we really want. And so we in this room, I'm sure, spend a lot of time working, whether it's doing chores at home, uh, for our parents, whether it is earning a paycheck to help feed our family, ourselves and our family, um, if, no matter what it is, is that we are constantly having to work for what we long for, for what we want, like those beautiful pieces of furniture that you have to assemble. The, um, the idea here is that we believe that the way we get things is to earn things. The way we get things is to purchase things. And what God is saying is that that doesn't work here. And so if you're thirsty, this is a great invitation. This is the invitation that, that goes further and says, if you are there, I don't know what you guys, I don't know if you guys are thirsty. And I mean spiritually thirsty. What you're hungering for and what you are eating, what you are trying to find satisfaction in, might cause you to not be so thirsty. But before we go there, which we are going to go there, um, let's take just a few minutes and reflect, especially if you're one of the ones who are here this morning, you're looking for something. You've got a need, and your need seems to be endless. And you're searching for answers, and it seems like they're always elusive. I want you to know that this morning, this passage is for you. Um, here's a couple of clips I would like for you to, to listen to and see if you can hear yourself in it and take some time to reflect on them as they go. Hunger, a poet once said, is the most important thing we know, the first lesson we learn. But hunger can be easily quieted down easily satiated there is another force a different type of hunger an unquenchable thirst that cannot be extinguished its very existence is what defines us what makes us human that force is love love you see is the one force that cannot be explained cannot be broken down into a chemical process. It is the beacon that guides us back home when no one is there and the light that illuminates our loss. 
His absence robs us of all pleasure, of our capacity for joy. It makes our nights darker, and our days gloomier.
If you can relate to those words, then you know what it's like to be a fire hose. And you need to be connected to the fire hydrant. And once you're connected to that fire hydrant and the water flows through that hose, that is a living water, a moving water. It comes with pressure. And it's the kind of water that God fills us with. And why does he do that? Because he doesn't just fill us for us. He fills us to spray this living water towards everyone who is thirsty. He uses us as conduits. The scripture in, in John 15 talks about us being um, branches that are connected to the vine. And the vine is the source of life. And he flows through the branches. And then the Holy Spirit bears fruit in us. And it is that living water that flows. It's, as we read earlier in the passage in John, when Jesus stands up on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacle and announces that um, for anyone who is thirsty, come to me and I will quench your thirst. I am the water you're looking for. I am the living water. In other words, he's speaking there of the coming of the Holy Spirit who dwells in all of us and who fills us. And Scripture encourages us to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, someone from the last service had, um, had indicated that, that their hose is full of the, the water of God, but their spout is turned off, and so the water becomes stagnant, and after a while it would become undrinkable. Um, but the good news is, is once those spouts are turned on again, that living water is still there. That's one way that can happen. Another thing that can happen is that if that pressure is so great, the hose will not be able to contain that pressure because that hose is going to start expanding until it bursts and there's an explosion. I call that a gospelosion. That's when we all get this powerful movement of, of God's spirit um, in a life and we are refreshed by it. Okay, so I've been talking to those who are thirsty and so is this passage, but something is shifting here and the question is for those who are not thirsty and you're not very hungry, and that is, why are you spending working for what is not bread? Why do you labor so hard for things that are not satisfying you? And the thing is, is we'll do the same thing that everybody else is doing and get the same things that everybody else is getting, and we'll be just as unsatisfied as everybody else is. And yet we spend so much time and energy focused on that, and this passage says, why? Why are you doing that? And then... It calls us to, to the deeper inner person that's inside of us. When the passage says, listen, listen to me. There is this invitation, an intent, listening with an intent. Hearing the intensity of the invitation that goes beyond just our understanding. The invitation here are for those who've been snacking a lot and who are not so hungry. He's saying, listen, listen deeper. Listen to your thirst. Listen to your hunger. Do you hear that? You may not be hungry right now, but let me entice you, I believe is what the author is doing here. When he says, listen to me, eat what is good. And here he's saying, eat what is scrumptious and irresistible, your favorite recipe. 
you know the aroma of what is cooking and what you want to eat and, and, it, and your favorite food, and, it is, and your mouth just waters. Even if you've been snacking on potato chips and Twinkies, you still have this, wow, that smells really good, and that's exactly what the inviter is doing here in saying, listen, the food that I'm talking about here is the best kind of food. It's the kind that makes your mouth water. It's a pretty amazing analogy. And then he says, you will delight in the richest affair. The word there, richest affair, actually means fattiness, fatness, which means abundance. There's plenty of it, but it also means like bacon and ribeyes. <laughs> you know, the good stuff. The stuff that when you smell it cooking, it doesn't matter if you've just been eating, it still smells really good. And underneath, you know you're going to be hungry again. And here the invitation is for you. You've been trying. You've filled so much of your life. I feel so much of my life working for what is not bread. What is not going to satisfy me? You don't, don't you get tired of that? Are you weary? If you're thirsty, you're probably not thirsty enough. If all that is attracting you to the food is the aroma, then chances are you're more hungry than you think. Because that hunger is perpetual, and that thirst is perpetual. And so, as um, we look further into this passage, God takes it, or the, the um, writer takes it further. And in this case, it is the Lord speaking. Um, and he says, listen. Give ear, careen, stretch for me. Don't let anything else get between you and me and this message. And he says, this is how you will live. And the life here is how you will fulfill. How you will live a full and rich, abundant life. And he says this, he says, I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The word make there actually means to cut. I will cut an everlasting covenant with you. The faithful love promised to David. Now here he's speaking of his Messiah, of the coming of Messiah. David had already been, been gone uh, for quite some time at the writing of this. And so now he's pointing towards the promised Messiah, the seed who is coming and he's saying that he will be cut. He will be the covenant. He will be the sacrifice. And it will be through his blood that will bring you pardon for sin. But will also impart to you his righteousness. His goodness. His obedience. His perfection. And he says, when this happens, then you will summon all of the nations of the world. And all of the nations will come running to you. Why? Because we get to see the splendor of Almighty God in the flesh of Jesus. And in this case, it says that he has endowed Jesus, Yahweh, your God, in the flesh with splendor. And when he is lifted up, he will draw all men to him, all mankind to him. And so he's moved from this metaphorical, allegor allegorical type conversation now to something tangible. And he's saying, this is what you're hungry for. This is what you need. And it's not a thing. And it's not stuff. And it's not anything you can produce. And it's not anything you can earn. It is something that 
it, it's, it's me. It's a person. And then he invites us, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Again, in the context of the Messiah, we know that we are living now in the last days. How do we know that? Because in the last days, the Messiah came. And he ushered in our last days, and we've been living in them ever since. This is, we're living in the kingdom of God, and God is so near to us right now. And his invitation is, is really clear. And if you can't hear the invitation, I wonder what junk food you're addicted to. I wonder what you have really convinced yourself that if you eat enough of that, then you're going to be good. I can tell you it's less than what God is offering here because here he's offering himself. And he's saying, let the wicked forsake their ways. Let the unrighteous forsake their thoughts. In other words, don't lean on your understanding. Don't lean on your ideas and your strategies and your plans and how you think things should go or will go. Don't even think like that because you're going to get it wrong. I think differently than you, and my ways are so far removed from yours. You think, according to God, you think his ways are very strange. I think his ways are really tricky. <laughs> um, because he often pulls something out of left field I didn't see coming. I don't know if he ever does that with you or if he just tortures me. But um, there's, um, there are times when God shows up in ways that I don't expect him. And the reason for it is right here is because he doesn't think like I do. I have some really good plans, and I think they would work out really well if God would just get on board with them. And I'm sure you think the same thing. And like, why did that have to be so complicated? It could have just gone like this, right? There are lots of things in, in life that we wish would do that. And God's like, even if I told you, you wouldn't get it. Because it's so far removed from the way you think. And since we can't know his thoughts and we can't judge his thoughts, we can't even really perceive his thoughts, then we are called to trust his thoughts. And what his thoughts are saying is that I will give you what you need. What you need to understand about me, I will provide. And what is that? It's like the rain and the snow. The earth receives it. Hopefully on Tuesday we get lots of that. Because um, I love snow. Because <laughs> I'm Santa. Uh, <laughs> the, um, uh, and so as the rain and the snow come down... Honestly, if I could call down rain and snow at will, we'd be in snow a lot. Um, so be thankful. I don't have that kind of power. So be thankful God doesn't answer all my prayers. Um, and there's a truth in that. It's because God sends his rain in his time. He sends his snow in his time. And all that we have to do is receive it when it comes. Sometimes we're parched. And sometimes we feel flooded. But nonetheless, his distribution of his grace and his mercy, and more specifically, according to this passage, his word is at his whim and not ours. That's very frustrating. <laughs> but it's also very encouraging. Because who loves creation more than we could possibly love creation? Except for its creator. And here, when he compares that, and he says that, that when I send rain... Um, there will be abundance. And again, he's talking about what his word does. And he's like, so it is with my word as it goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which it is sent. Here he is speaking directly about his word. Now let's just fast forward and get to the end of the movie part here. And that is, we know who his word is because his word is a person, right? The word became flesh. 
Yahweh himself is the word. And he did send his word. And his word is here in abundance for a parched world. And his word is a person. And that when we receive him, and when he is sent out, he will achieve his purpose. So brothers and sisters and friends, if you're not part of Christ's body yet, here's an invitation that you can't resist. If you're hungry and you're thirsty, I've got great news. Our living water is right here for you. And we need only to come, to hear, to receive. That's it. Because if we come with anything else, we cannot hear or receive. And we will not come. Because it takes something, right, in order for us to really be connected to what God is offering. And you know what that something is? It's the most frustrating thing in the world. It is nothing. Nothing. That's a powerful thing. Um, because the currency of the kingdom is nothing, means we can all afford it, right? Um, however, is that we're going to sing a song here in just a few minutes. It's called... Um, very familiar, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And it asks a series of questions, kind of like the earlier song did, too. And it is asking for a response. What can wash away my sin? Nothing. What can make me whole again? Nothing. What can make my life worth living? Nothing. What can give me peace and hope? Nothing. What can satisfy my soul? Nothing. What can give me hope and purpose? What, what can I provide for myself? Nothing. What can quench my thirsty soul? What can fill my emptiness? What can fix my brokenness? What can fix my relationships? Nothing. What good work can I possibly do? Nothing. What can make life worth living? Nothing. What can make me trust again? Nothing. What plans can I make that will last and actually come to fruition? Nothing. What captivates, what can possibly captivate my heart? Nothing. It was obvious that I've missed a couple words, hadn't I? Because when the song says nothing, what can wash away my sin? Nothing. See, that's the other voice, isn't it? But sometimes we don't stop and pay attention to the words. And we, we gloss over that whole idea is that there's nothing that we can do. There's nothing we can work for. There's nothing we can provide. There's no performance. There's no things. There's no state of being. There's no perfect body. There's no perfect friends. There's no perfect relationship. There's nothing that will satisfy that hunger and that thirst within us. There's nothing in us that can pardon us from sin and make us free from the debts we owe. Because I don't know about you, but I've made a pretty big mess out of my life. It is a tangled mess, and it's so tangled, I can't get it untangled. It's kind of like Christmas lights. (laughs) You know, you, you go to all this trouble, and you come up with all these different ways of winding those lights up every year, right? 
But then when you go back, some gremlin has gotten a hold of them. And, you, and you're like, how did this happen again? And you're trying your best to get those, those lights untangled. And that's kind of like the lives that, that we lead. I can't bring anything in my hand except for my mess. And you know what the good news is? Jesus is determined to remove the things I'm clinging to from my hand so that I have nothing in my hand. That is quite disturbing. When what I think I'm clinging to is the stuff that I think I need, is the stuff that I think will make my journey better. I want to show you a quick clip here that kind of summarizes what that means. And so let's take a look real quick. My nothing is the only thing I need to buy everything. And that is also true for you. And our thirst reveals who and what we're thirsty for. And I'm praying that God will really open up that deep understanding of what thirst is, what our need is. And to do that, I want to read, I want to pray, um, but I want to read the prayer my favorite prayer out of the Valley of Vision. So I'm going to read this as you reflect on it. So let's pray. Thou knowest my great unfitness for service, my present deadness, my inability to do anything for your glory, my distressing coldness of heart. I am weak and ignorant and unprofitable, and I loathe and abhor myself. I am at a loss to know what you would have me do for I feel amazingly deserted by you and I sense your presence so little you make me possess and live in remembrance of the sins of my youth and the dreadful sin of my nature so that I feel I am all sin I cannot think or act but every motion is sin Lord, return again with showers of converting grace to a poor, gospel-abusing sinner. Help my soul to breathe after holiness, after a constant devotedness to you, after growth in grace more abundantly every day. Oh, Lord, I am lost in the pursuit of this blessedness, and I am ready to sink because I fall short of my desire. Help me to hold out a little longer. 
until the happy hour of deliverance comes. For I cannot lift my soul to you if you of your own goodness do not bring me nigh. Help me to be diffident, watchful, tender, lest I offend my blessed friend. In thought and behavior, I confide in thee and lean upon thee and need thee at all times to assist me and lead me. Oh, that all my distresses and apprehensions might prove but Christ's school to make me fit for greater service by teaching me the great lesson of humility and thirst.